0: Good morning. Please turn your books, your uh, Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. good morning, everyone. Wow, that was quite a long break. I haven't been up here for a while, so nice to be back. Well, good morning to everyone, and especially those at home. And uh, if you're visiting here this morning with us, we're glad to have you, so just want to mention that. Uh, And it's so good and such a privilege to be able to be up here to present a lesson to you this morning. You might notice that the title of the lesson is What We Get Out of Fellowship, and we always use that term loosely. You know, what do we get out of fellowship? We talk about fellowship meals, fellowship, fellowship. So what we want to talk about a little bit is what fellowship is a little bit and what we get out of fellowship. What do we get out of fellowship? What do we get when we get together and we're having fellowship? And that's what we're going to look at. So as the Lord has commanded us to do, we come together on the first day of the week. We do this every week. We do this to worship God together and to remember our Lord Jesus, to remember what he did for us. Well, getting together is a blessing. It shows the wisdom of God. That's what it does. We have fellowship. Now, the Greek word translated as fellowship is koinonia. So maybe some of you have already done your studies on the word koinonia. This word means mutual participation, partaking, or sharing. And so when we fellowship with one another, we are participating or partaking or sharing with One another. But the question is, what is it we're sharing? What is it we're participating in? What is it we're partaking of? Well, we are sharing the one faith. We're sharing the one spirit. We're sharing the oneness that we just read about in our reading, verses 4 to 6. We share these things. We have these things in common. We are having fellowship. We're sharing that oneness, that uniqueness that we have. And what benefits come out of fellowship, though? What benefits do we get coming together And having fellowship, whether it's worship service or a fellowship meal or whatever the case may be, what benefits do we get out of fellowship? So the first point I want us to look at is when we get together for fellowship, we learn how to love one another. We learn how to love. We learn how to love, not just love one another, but we learn how to love. Take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. We'll have the passage up here. We'll read through it. So Romans 12, verses 9 and 10 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And so Paul had written to the brethren in Rome, reminding them to be devoted to one another in love. And this love was to be sincere. This had to be a real love. This couldn't be just something you could fake. It had to be a real love. This kind of love is the kind of love that you see people have for one another when they're genuinely concerned for one another. And they, they greet you at the door, they greet you when you come in, and they ask you, how are you doing? How are things? Are you okay? That's the kind of love we're talking about. A real concern for one another. The fact that he says, honor one another above yourselves, shows us that Paul wanted each Christian to put the other first. That was his intention. The word devoted here means applying oneself with serious. Let me say that again. Applying oneself with seriousness. And so they were to take this idea of loving each other very serious. However, when we look at other translations, this is what we read. King James Version says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. The American Standard Version says, In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned one to another, in honor preferring one another. So what do you think when you think of the term tender? What do you think when you think of the term affectioned? Those are terms often we use these in describing our spouses, or our significant other. Tender, affectionate. We must keep in mind that this is going this is to go hand in hand with being living sacrifices. If you remember at the very beginning of that chapter, chapter 12, the very first verse, Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this goes in hand, hand in hand with the idea of being living sacrifices. To be a living sacrifice, we are to love one another. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to apply ourselves with seriousness in loving others. That, that is just gives us that little bit more emphasis. It's strongly emphasized by Paul to do this. Love means getting out of our comfort zones that we're in. We're all in our comfort zones, whether we want to admit it or not. We have a certain level of comfort. We have a certain... A certain area where where we'll go and a certain area where we won't go. And we're all there. But love means getting out of our comfort zones that we are in and developing relationships with people we might not really want to. New people from all walks of life are going to come into this building and are going to come into this church through the gospel. And we need to know how to love these people. We learn by truly being what we are, the family of God, the household of believers. Together, in fellowship, when we have fellowship, we learn how to love. We learn how to love one another. If we can't love each other, how are we going to love others outside of the church? We have to think about these things. So the second point is, when we have fellowship, we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the last point. We spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And here the author says in these two verses, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the word spur is translated as provoke in other translations. Provoke. So think about that translation. Let us provoke one another on toward loving good deeds. It almost sounds like somebody's trying to start a fight or something. It sounds nasty, doesn't it? Provoke, you know, kind of poke, poke, poke. But the idea is to excite, to excite someone on to love and good deeds. We're to try to excite people on to love and good deeds. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, maybe here's an example. Maybe it's asking someone to help you to help someone else. Maybe move furniture or or to visit somebody in the hospital. And you get them excited about the idea. So you spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You get them excited. You excite them toward loving good deeds. We should get people pumped up about wanting to serve and do things to show love towards others. That's what we need to do. And there's lots of examples we can come up with that covers this. But we should be excited about the opportunity to show love and do good, and we should get others excited about it as well. Now, in light of the many persecutions that these Christians in the first century were going through, while the best way for them to hold on to their faith Was to force themselves not to feel sorry for themselves, but to move on toward love and good deeds? What better way can you take your mind off of things than to be doing something for somebody else? When you do that, doesn't your problem seem kind of small? When you're busy trying to help someone else with something, don't you quickly forget about your problems? You quickly forget about whatever you're going through? And that becomes the priority? That's what we need to be doing. The right thing to do for these Christians going through all the persecution that they were going through was to get busy doing something that would take their minds off the situation. And so that's what we need to do, too. We need to try to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do you know while you're concentrating on someone else's problem, helping someone else, that somebody else out there is not already working on your problem? Have you ever thought of that? While you're trying to spur someone else on toward loving good deeds, while you're trying to do something good and loving others, somebody else might already be thinking of you and doing the very same thing for you. And so, when we have fellowship with one another, we learn how to spur or provoke one another on toward loving good deeds. Point number three, the third point. We learn to pray together and for one another. When we have fellowship together, whether it's a fellowship meal, whether we are worshiping here, usually we pray. We have a prayer. We learn to pray together. We learn to pray for one another. Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. And this is such a wonderful passage to read. And notice the imagery when we go through this. and, and, and Imagine it. Picture it in your minds. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, And from there, we went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied, oops, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. That was a little wake-up call, I guess, eh? But you see the imagery. So they all go down to the beach. They meet with all the disciples in Tyre. All the disciples come out, their wives, their children, everybody, along with Paul and Luke and the traveling companions. They go down to the beach. They get down on their knees, all of them on the beach, and pray together. Could you imagine doing that? Can you imagine getting a group together, going to the beach and just being on the beach and praying together? Can you imagine? So just to give us a little bit of of background, before all of this, Paul met with the elders in Ephesus. And he encouraged them to watch over the flock. And he warned them that there's going to be people that are going to come in that are going to cause problems. And so we see in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 to 38, we read, When he had said all this, when he had said this, Paul talking to the elders in Ephesus, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. So we see another scene where they were getting on their knees and they were praying. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So that's why we read in verse 1, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. So it must have been horrific. You know, you can just picture the scene. All the elders in Ephesus and Paul, and they're crying. They're holding each other. They're praying together. They know they're not going to see him again. They're finding this hard to accept. They tear themselves away. They go traveling around, and then they get to Tyre, and there they're with them for seven days. And then they go down to the beach, everybody, all the Christians, and they pray together on the beach. What a scene. This was the body of believers gathered together, the picture of a family. All of the disciples who were living there in Tyre, all their wives, all their children, and Paul and those with them, they go down to the beach, they get on their knees in the sand, and they pray. They prayed together for Paul and his companions who were about to leave. Prayer was important to them, and it should be important to us too. Prayer shows a dependency on God. When we gather together for worship, for fellowship, we do the same thing that God's people did back then. We learn to pray for each other's needs. We bring up our concerns. We bring up our worries. We pray to give thanks, and we pray for health and well-being. We pray to consult with the Lord, and we pray just to talk to our loving Father in heaven, to acknowledge him and to tell him we need him. At the same time, we remind ourselves about the importance of relying on God when we pray. Because otherwise, who are you praying to? You're praying to the Father that shows your faith in God. We learn to pray together and for one another When we have fellowship, the next point that we have is we learn patience. We learn patience when we have fellowship with one another. James chapter five, verses seven to 11. James chapter five, verses seven to 11. Says this. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So how often do we always hear that expression, you have to have the patience of Job? We hear it all the time. People like to use it. Even people who are not Christians, they know the story. And they use that expression all the time. You've got to have the patience of Job. Well, there's something that can be said for having great patience. And, of course, the patience mentioned in this passage, in these verses that we looked at, are referring to patience while we wait for the coming of Christ and patience in the face of suffering. That's what he's talking about there to the audience, the original audience. So imagine the patience Christ had when he was on earth, the patience he had in the face of suffering. We've talked about this in previous lessons before. Imagine what he had to go through knowing he was going to die and waiting for it to happen, and the patience that he had waiting and watching. We learn to be patient with each other as we mature in our faith and as we wait for Jesus to return for us. The next point I want to bring up is what we get out of fellowship. We edify each other. We edify each other. How often do we use that word? Do we even understand what that word means? Edify. Ah, I'm edified. What does that mean? Well, the definition of edify is the act of building up to build up from the foundation. It is used in the sense of promoting the spiritual growth and development of character of a brother or sister in Christ by teaching or example. By teaching or example. So let me say that again. It is the act of building up. It is to build up. It is used in the sense of promoting the spiritual growth and development of character of a brother or sister in Christ by teaching or example. So by teaching or example, someone is built up. Built up from the foundation up. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, says this. And I'll tell you what it says after I get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Paul was reminding the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica to continue doing what they were already doing. And that was building each other up. So there must have been some teaching going on. There must have been some mature and faithful Christians setting examples for others to follow. That stuff must have been happening because they were building each other up. But Paul wanted to stress how important it was that they continue to do this. Anytime you see the word therefore or the phrase for this reason, as you see in that verse there right at the beginning, I've mentioned this many times, it's usually pointing to what was previously said. And so what was previously said? Well, the verse just before that, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Interesting. When we read that verse, and put that together. So he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Verse 10 is talking about Christ. And Paul was reminding the brethren in Thessalonica that Christ died so that they may live. So he was saying, since you have this hope that Christ will return someday for you, continue building each other up. That's what he's saying. You hang on to that hope, and while you're hanging on to that hope, continue to work at helping each other, building each other up. We need to do the same. We need to live lives that set good examples for others to follow. We need to encourage each other. We need to build each other up in the knowledge of God's word by way of teaching and example. We get all of this when we are together. In fellowship. When you're sitting here on the first day of the week and you're sitting here and you're watching and you're listening, you're getting that. Whether through teaching or example, you're getting that building up that you need. We need to have that. Otherwise, we will get weak. And the fifth and final point what we get out of fellowship, we learn how to comfort one another and get comfort. So notice there was one point I mentioned about learning how to love one another and learning to love the same way we learn how to comfort one another and get comfort. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 5 to 7 says this. For when we came into Macedonia this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So the Lord provides comfort in our times of need. Just as Paul and others were comforted by the coming of Titus and the longing of the Corinthian brethren, so too we are comforted by each other. How often, when we extend our love and support to each other, do we actually comfort one another? When I see the compassion of one person towards another, that comforts me. When I see somebody doing something kind and decent and pure and loving towards someone else, that comforts me. It reminds me of the love of Christ. I remember what Milton Diaz said when he had spoken and he talked about when I see someone Show that kind of love that they should have. It reminds me that I'm loved by Christ. You know? And so, it, it's, it, that's what we need to think of. When we have fellowship, we receive comfort and comfort others. And the encouragement from it brings us closer. Are you not? Do you not feel closer to your brothers and your sisters when they comfort you? Don't you feel a little more connected to them? Do you get that? Well, that's what we get out of fellowship. As a family, we need to look after one another. We need to learn what each other's needs are and try to help. It's the Lord's will that we care for each other. That is why he has brought the church together the way that he wanted it. He intended for us to look after each other as a family. So getting together for worship and having fellowship with each other is a blessing we ought not forget. It's a blessing for us to be together like this on the first day of the week, for fellowship meals, whatever the situation may be, whatever kind of activity or event, we should consider it a blessing to be able to be together because we get all these things that is mentioned. We learn to love, we learn to pray, we get comfort. We get all these things when we come together. And we do. Even if it's just from eating the food, you still get some comfort, right? But we get these things when we get come together and we have fellowship. We are a family and we're having a family reunion of sorts on the first day of every week. Think about that. We are one family, the family of God, and we're having a family reunion every Lord's Day, every first day of the week. We come together. And we come together on the first day of the week to catch up on what has been happening in each other's lives. We talk to each other. We find out how's your week been, what's been going on. Hey, anything I can help you with? Can I pray for you for, about something? These things happen during fellowship. And so... We catch up on what's been happening in each other's lives. We learn more about God and his word. And most importantly, we remember who the head of this family is, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the head of this family. We are the family of God. He died for us so that we could have this relationship with each other, this fellowship. He brought this family together. If you are here today and you are not in Christ and you would like to be part of his family, this family so that you might share the many blessings that come from having fellowship. Why not come forward and hear the good news, learn how you can be saved and added to the family of God. Let's stand and sing our last song in the morning.